This is Podco Media Networks. It's the Demystifying Data Podcast with Chris Clegg, where we deconstruct the tools and techniques marketers need to make data more actionable. Here's Chris. Hello, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Demystifying Data. I'm your host, Chris Clegg. And in today's episode, we're going to go over a series of case studies that have to do with the adult beverage industry. And specifically looking at how does experiential engage the adult beverage industry and what role as analysts and marketers who understand the importance of data, what role do we have in helping to support insight coming out of the work that's being done? And I think the best way to do that is to go over just examples of how it's been done to see if there are ways that align with projects you're working on or things you're working on that can help you add some additional value. So first of all, when we're talking about adult beverage and experiential, we're really talking about all the on-premise and off-premise activations that take place. And there's a lot of different formats that that may have. You could have large sponsorships, but really a lot of it are the bar events, the sampling events, the smaller music venues where you've got the opportunity to make a big splash as a title sponsor. And it also has all the off-premise retail activations that are in store. There's the consumer component But there's also the trade. And the trade have an interesting relationship to when a consumer is making a decision and what kind of decision they're making. And what the bartender or the mixologist decides to put in their well and when somebody comes up to the bar and orders a whiskey sour or a rum and coke, what whiskey or rum they decide to put into that drink that is as important as what the consumer is asking for. And so there's a lot going on in how we market adult beverages, and certainly there's a lot of opportunity for the right measurement program to add enormous amounts of value and what to do and how to do it right. So here's some examples of the way that's been done and deployed. So we've really enjoyed doing focus groups and in-depth interviews with members of the trade. And we've done that in a few different ways over the years and always a big fan of in-depth interviews because it gives you the chance to speak in a very structured way over the phone, but yet still informal around what the job is like, what they're doing, what member of the trade is all about, how do they get into the work, what's their goal in doing the work, the kind of account they work at, because you've got some bartenders that are working at accounts that are all about volume. You've got others that are all about the mixology and the nature of what's being delivered. And being able to talk to those folks about their job and how they think about different spirits and how they relate to those spirits. I mean, sometimes just the ease of how the packaging, how the bottle opens, or something as simple as the way it fits in the well is such a huge influence on them. But also, you know, the bartender is sizing up their customer. They're looking at the person at the bar who ordered the rum and coke, and they're trying to get an understanding of what makes this person tick, what kind of consumer of rum are they, and are they going to appreciate a higher-end rum in the drink, or are they going to find that additional expense annoying and feel like they were conned? And that kind of sizing up is an important part of what the bartenders do as well, because they want their patrons to have a great experience and they want them to enjoy themselves. And so having the chance to have a conversation with bartenders is incredibly valuable. But there's also the consumer side of that equation and understanding how consumers make decisions of what to order. And what's the difference between somebody who orders a rum and Coke or somebody who orders a Bacardi and Coke? And what are the dynamics that are involved and what influence their decision? When do they make that decision? And so we've had the chance to do research around that as well and understand 
understand, you know, what role does the bartender play? How do we get somebody to order the brand as a part of their drink, as opposed to the category of spirit as a part of their drink? And we had the opportunity to do research in this area in a few different times, but one in particular, the method we used were these bounce backs cards. So we had brand ambassadors that were in the accounts, hundreds and hundreds of accounts on an ongoing basis, and they were distributing cards that were really just business style cards that were really designed to promote the social media accounts. And on the back of that card, we invited the people they engaged to go to a URL and to provide some feedback about the experience. And we did that in exchange for chance to win or redemption, those kind of things. And what we found was over a short period of time, we were able to get about 300 plus, 330 or so responses. And we analyzed that data. And one of the things that we learned, we learned a whole bunch of stuff, but one of the key things we learned was that prior to an engagement, a consumer was about one-third of the time ordering by brand. So 38% of the time, they reported that they ordered the drink by a particular brand. So they were looking for a Bombay Sapphire as opposed to a gin and tonic. They were asking for a Sapphire and tonic, those kind of things. And we really, as marketers of specific brands, we want to teach and train consumers about how much better the experience is going to be if they identify with a brand, find out what they like, and then make sure they get that in their drink and they order by name. And sure enough, after the brand ambassador engagement, we saw that this almost doubled to 60% reporting that they ordered by the brand name after they had had the experience and the chance to engage the brand ambassador. So that's just an example of how we can use measurement techniques in a relatively simple way to get a clear understanding of the impact of experiential and how we're influencing the way consumers act. But we got to understand the way consumers think in the first place to know where we're having an impact on that thinking. And we use a similar methodology with those bounce back cards with the trade because another program that we had the chance to work on, the brand ambassadors were a little bit of a higher education level on the spirits industry, and they were going into accounts, and their main focus was the trade directly and talking to the bartenders and getting a sense of what were they pouring, how they feel about that, where they were at, and really knowing the different types of bartenders, different types of accounts, and working to help sell in the brands that they were championing. And there were dozens and dozens of ambassadors doing this across really thousands of accounts. And what we were able to do is we wanted to look at the impact of that and how that impact varied. And so we started by doing a national survey of bartenders across the country, really unrelated to this marketing. And we did that across a wide variety of brands, both from the manufacturing, the spirit, the category level, to understand what are the baseline opinions and assumptions about different types of products. So we had maybe these five different types of vodkas or these seven different types of whiskeys and different manufacturers and the like. And so what was the baseline opinion about that? What was the likelihood of pouring? What was the feelings about the quality, the drinkability, the mixability, versatility, and overall opinion of these individual brands? And with those baselines, we were then able to compare how the ambassadors, how the trade that had the exposure of the ambassadors in this account relationship that the campaign was all about, how those bartenders were different than what these national averages were. And we were able to look at that difference over time and track that positive movement. And we did see a fairly consistent positive movement around how the trade 
increase their opinion of the brand and on all those attributes, drinkability, versatility, poor, value for price, those kinds of things. But what we found that was even more actionable and more interesting was that it was not the same for everybody. It definitely varied by type of bartender, by the type of account, and even by the category we were talking about, like rum versus whiskey versus scotch versus say, uh, tequila. And so we were able to piece together that variability. We were to say, okay, these kinds of accounts, these categories of bartenders, these types of spirits, this is where there are risks and opportunity, and this is where there are strengths. And using that to then help direct the way the marketing was done so that we're maximizing impact. And it takes what is otherwise a lot of people doing really hard work but in a way that doesn't have centralized intelligence around impact, other than just looking at sales over time, we were able to really deconstruct what was happening and understand when were sales higher and why, so we could do more of what was working well and less of what wasn't. And then we've also had the chance to look at menus. And bar menus are a fascinating aspect of the work that experiential marketing agencies are doing. It's kind of the coup de grace. It's the idea of, you know, if I can get on the menu and get on the top of the menu, we're going to see an increase in sales. And our research and analysis has shown that there is, in fact, a positive correlation between menu placement and sales. It's kind of obvious, but we've been able to prove it repeatedly over time. And also look at how menu placement varies across different types of drinks, different categories of spirits, and different manufacturers across the country. And so is Tito's winning the mule war? Or, you know, what are the scotches that are felt as being most approachable in larger in volume accounts, those kinds of things. And what we've been able to do is look at thousands and thousands of accounts, get their menus, transcribe those menus into a database. And in one particular effort doing this, we had 3,800 menus that we were able to transcribe and code into over 118,000 drinks. And we were able to code those drinks by name, by type, by brand, by price, by manufacturer, supplier, and even by description of how the drink was described. And then look at that and analyze the heck out of it and start to figure out these are the most popular cocktails. And this is how cocktail popularity varies by region of the country. Of all the major suppliers, this is the stuff that Tito's appears to be doing. This is what Bacardi appears to be doing. This is what Brown Foreman appears to be doing. This is what Constellation's doing over on the side and Treasury Wines. This is what Beam Satori is doing. Pernod Ricard's doing that. Really able to kind of piece that together and get a sense of what are the trends that tend to be around cocktail and menu placement that tend to be aligned with one supplier versus another, which becomes incredibly valuable when you're looking to deconstruct where are the opportunities within the industry. And then looking at all the different things that relate to price and the way a spirit is presented in a drink and what it's priced at and how that varies and looking for those opportunities to highlight back to the accounts, these are the trends we're seeing where folks are getting a higher price for a cocktail on average when it's presented in this way. So is a Manhattan worth more on average to the account based on the revenue 
versus a vodka plus one? And how are the different ways in which things are done and designed demonstrating a path to greater revenue for the accounts? And how can we take that as learning and share that back with the ambassadors so when they go into the accounts, they can talk to people about the best way to present a particular spirit category to maximize revenue. And really subscribing that down to the account level so that we can understand what are those roadmaps for success. The spirits industry is a fascinating industry. And really, it's an industry that relies very heavily on message to market match, on reaching consumers that are at a certain stage in their life and presenting to them an option for something that they're going to find very drinkable. We know that palates change over time. We know that as somebody gets older, they're going to find stronger tasting spirits to be more attractive. And then the milder, easier to drink experiences are going to be more attractive to the younger consumer. And so you get somebody who's getting into their mid to early 20s. They don't quite understand wine. They have never really gotten into wine and they want to do something more than have a beer on certain occasions. And so they may start to explore whiskey. And we find from the research that a consumer is going to have a wide variety of whiskeys that they're drinking. And then as they start to get older, they'll start to narrow into certain whiskeys. And by the time they're hitting their 40s, 50s, they're pretty loyal to a particular brand. And the variety of brands that they're trying in a given year is much smaller for an older consumer than somebody who might be in their 20s. And so how well we can align the right spirit with the right consumer demographic to help make sure they're going to have that positive experience so that they have the chance to build that loyalty and settle into the right brand when they're older, that's such an important part of it. And it boils down to metrics. It boils down to how well are you looking at the way in which your marketing is delivering an experience that's generating the loyalty that you've been hired to create in the first place. And it's always going to have to do with how are you outlining and defining the lifestyle match? Why is this a product that aligns with the consumer? And how are you finding the consumers that it's designed to align with? And then what messaging are you using to communicate that value proposition? And if you're not measuring that, you really have no clue on how good you are at it. And you might be missing the mark as often as you're hitting it. And really, that does tend to be inexcusable because with some simple tools in place, you can really start to figure out what's working and what's not. So that's a few sample case studies coming out of the adult beverage industry. Specifically, we talked a lot about spirits. We talked about how you engage what's going on with the trade, some top line aspects of what matters to the trade and how we get feedback from them to engage them around what's working. We talked about consumers and how they make a decision of what to order when they're on premise and what we can do to better understand that and evaluate it. And we talked about, you know, this message to market match, the bigger picture, and how it's the job of the marketer to identify the right consumers to align the lifestyle and value proposition that the brand has to offer with messaging that's going to resonate with that right consumer. So hopefully this is valuable to you. I mean, our goal here is to give you bits of information, ideas, things that you can use in your own practices. And if anything that I said here is something you can steal 
go ahead and steal it. Wish you all the best of luck. If you're not a subscriber, go ahead and subscribe. And if you haven't visited us lately, I encourage you to go to portmod.com. We got a brand new website and we're starting to provide some more syndicated data products. So you don't have to outsource the entire measurement of a project to get data you can use in your recaps and data you can use to be comparable. We've been working in this industry for about 10 years and we've got hundreds of thousands of consumer interviews. We've organized that into a benchmarking database that we're starting to produce reports off of. And you can look at those reports. There's 15 of them available now up on the website. And you can start to look at those and see if any of those might relate to campaigns that you're in the middle of where the data in those reports can add value, helping you develop KPIs, helping you to understand what you can expect, and also giving you a point of reference to compare what you're doing so you can see if you're above or maybe below average. And more importantly, how that variation aligns with the choices you made so you can do more of what's working better. Thank you so much. I hope you're having a fantastic day and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tune in next time as Chris Clegg continues demystifying data. Meantime, head over to demystifyingdata.co to learn more.